2: where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Faceoff wherever you get your podcasts.
3: My name is Jen Smith.
2: I'm Adam Cole, Couples Financial Counselor.
3: Hey, this is Lindsay Brian Podvin. And today
1: we are going to talk about the financial implications of Valentine's Day. It was my most memorable Valentine's Day. My wife and I had been married maybe a year or two, and we didn't have any kids yet. And for once, we decided to really make a big deal of it and made reservations at one of the most expensive restaurants in our area. And they had a set meal ready for us. We didn't have to choose anything. We just paid the fee and showed up. And we started with like a beer or a wine flight for both of us, which was really cool, and an amazing appetizer. But what I remember most was we had Chateau Briand, and I had never had meat so tender. I can still taste it today. After that, there was a dessert cocktail and then some type of dessert or another. And I can't even remember what we did next. I assume we went to a show or a movie or something like that. It was a really memorable year. But as I recall the 48 years of my life, it's probably the only Valentine's Day I remember. So this really begs the question for me. Is Valentine's Day a hallmark holiday meant to detach us consumers from our dollars Or are we forming the memories that will stay with us for the rest of our lives? And speaking of Valentine's Day, have you ever thought about giving yourself the gift of financial independence? Well, guess what? You can do it for free at Fiology.com. That's F-I-O-L-O-G-Y. Basically, my friend David Boyer put together this website to deliver you the best information about financial independence. You can find the 52 Phyology lessons there. They are all free. I suggest you scroll through them in order. You'll also get information about his Fiology workbook. There are resources, including information about Camp Phi or Camp Financial Independence, a link to the Financial Independence Oriented Podcast, as well as you can get connected with a financial independence coach. It's all available, all for free, F I O L O G Y F-I-O-L-O-G-Y.com. Check it out today and become part of the financial independence community. Jen Smith is the writer behind the Modern Frugality website and the co-host of the always excellent Frugal Friends podcast. Jen, how are you today?
0: I'm doing really well. And I'm um really excited to talk about Valentine's Day because I myself would love a memorable Valentine's Day. Hit hint to anybody who's who's listening.
1: You know, you have to go with the Chateau Briand. If you if you just <laughs> go there, you'll be perfectly fine.
0: It sounds excellent, and I'm very interested.
1: <laughs> I'll remember it the next time I have you over
0: oh, awesome.
1: <laughs> Lindsay Brian Podvin is an author a speaker and Michigan's first financial therapist She is also the host of the mind money balance podcast Lindsay welcome back to earn and invest
3: I'm so happy to be here talking about valentine's day with you three lovely folks
1: I was about to say the best way to spend valentine's day is with us huh <laughs>
3: Yes. I mean, (laughs) honestly, it's great.
1: You you could do better than this, Lindsay. I hate to tell you, but you really could. (laughs) And Adam Cole is a couples financial coach who helps couples who love each other make sure the money conversation doesn't get in the way. Adam, happy Valentine's Day.
2: Happy Valentine's Day, Doc and Lindsay and Jen. It's great to be with y'all.
1: It is so good to have all three of you guys here with me today. Let's talk about memorable Valentine's Day. Jen, you kind of made a joke about it in the introduction, but can you think of one that sticks out for you? And did you have to spend a lot of money to have that uh, good memory? Uh,
0: We did not spend anything. Well, I mean, I didn't spend anything, but neither did my husband. It was when we were dating. And we only dated for one Valentine's Day. So this, I guess, is why it's the only really significant Valentine's (laughs) Day. But he invited me to his house and he had hung like white Christmas lights up and he'd set up a little table and he'd made me dinner and it was like the lights were dim and it was really nice. He kicked his roommate out of the house. It was great. It was really fun.
1: Adam, Jen brings up kind of an interesting point. You are newly in a relationship. Is there something special about that first Valentine's Day?
2: I think there can be, right? And it depends on you and where you're at in the person. And depending on when this comes out, we'll see if she checks out this episode. (laughs) uh... (laughs) Uh, There'll be something planned. have no doubt about that. (laughs)
1: Lindsay, we kind of get to this idea Is Valentine's Day important? And if it is, is it worth kind of plunking down some cash to make a real memory? Tell me about your past in Valentine's Day. Has it been a special day for you before?
3: Well, to answer your first question in typical therapist fashion, you know, it depends. It depends on if Valentine's Day is important to the couple or not, whether it's something they want to spend time and energy with. Um, So my partner and I have been together since 2007 and we got married in 2014 and our Valentines have been more or less the same. We probably spend 30 or 40 bucks. We started college style by ordering a pizza and renting a movie at Blockbuster when you would have to go walk somewhere and actually pick up a DVD. And nowadays they're a touch more elevated. We go to the local theater that plays old movies and we catch a show there and it's a free benefit since we are members.
1: Jen, I I didn't look up the history of Valentine's Day, but I know a lot of people think it's kind of one of those Hallmark holidays, right? A sham brought by some consumer entity that wanted to part you from your money. I mean, do you really take Valentine's Day seriously? Have you in the past?
0: Not really, But I do love the fact that it forces people to pause for a day and really be thankful for the love in their life. That, I do think, is the great thing about Valentine's Day. I hate that all of the restaurants are overbooked and everything's really busy. So I think uh, we do that more on our anniversary versus Valentine's Day. But I love anything that forces you to kind of take a step back and pause and reflect on how how lucky or blessed you are to have the love that you have.
2: And just to chime in, I, I definitely agree with Jen. I've always wondered about these holidays, though. Do they have this weird, like, effect of almost justifying us not being romantic on other days or, like, not being nice to our mom on days other than Mother's Day or things like this, right? It's like, oh, well, I did it big on Mother's Day right? Versus like cultivating a sense of, hey, I want to do something special for this person all the time because I care about right? Like I'm not waiting for February to do something kind for my girlfriend. I'm trying to do it every darn chance I get, right? So I I always kind of wonder about that. And yet at the same time, even if it is a Hallmark holiday, I've been more and more accepting that like being a human being who lives in this society, don't like beat myself up or try to be perfectly rational. Like Valentine's Day is a day that we are taught to ascribe whatever meaning to. And so no harm and just going along with it and enjoying it. And like Jen said, you know, making it an opportunity to be grateful for the love you have and let people know you love them.
1: Lindsay, let's turn what Adam just said around a little bit. This idea that maybe Valentine's Day allows us not to be romantic and do special things on other days. If that's the case, is there a pressure to kind of go big on Valentine's Day? Like, should we be putting out the major bucks and going to the fine restaurant? Because this is our chance to really show up and and maybe make up for some of those other days.
3: I mean, if that's important to the couple, then yeah, you know, go, go all out, have fun, make that your big night or your big weekend and incorporate that into a part of your relationship. You know, for some people, Valentine's day is huge. And then, you know, doing a weekend romantic getaway is definitely worth it. But if they're doing it just to check off a box, then spending a bunch of money on it doesn't make a bunch of sense.
1: Jen, the other thing I often struggle with, especially if you're in a new relationship, is how do you decide who does all the planning and the spending? Like, do you remember when you guys first started doing Valentine's Day? Who did that fall to and why?
0: Mm, What a great question. I remember when my husband used to pay for things for me. It was (laughs) so chivalrous. (laughs) And now he asks me for the credit card because I'm the one that holds the one we're trying to get the points on.
1: So, so I think it,
0: yeah, I think it, I mean, I think it comes down to the couple, like, who feels more confident in their paying. I I definitely think it's a good idea for, I mean, I'm a little traditional, so I think it's cool for the guy to, like, pay on the first date, like, when he's trying to do something uh, special for me. But if I'm trying to do something special for him, like, I'm going to pay for it. So, yeah, but those it is nice to be taken care of a little bit.
1: You know we're in personal finance when we just went from chivalry to credit card points that quickly.
2: <laughs> if the transition was that smooth,
3: and we all were nodding, you know it what I'm like, we about. totally know yeah, that you point uh-huh. hacking, of course.
2: Are you kidding? I just inter- introduced my girlfriend. I was like, okay, Chase Sapphire, Capital One Venture, but we got to get those welcome bonuses, mm-hmm. we got to get you going. Yeah,
0: yeah. we got to put this Valentine's dinner on the one with the five x points on restaurants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We do.
3: Yeah. So when Jen was talking about who pays for what, what came to mind to me is that, you know, I'm, You know, married now, coming up on seven years, and we do share everything. So how do you build in those elements of surprise when we both have access to the chase card and know what's going where? So what we've kind of come up with is a don't check the credit card for the next three days kind of policy. And it's not because either of us doesn't have access to it, but it's so we can still surprise each other and, yes, double down on those points. So that's one way for us to build in those surprises in our relationship is to say, hey, just don't check the chase. And we also know that that doesn't mean that somebody's gone out and hid an expense. It's really about keeping that surprise alive in a relationship when you do combine finances.
1: Adam, let's talk about the surprise in the relationship. In some ways, I almost feel like chivalry is dead nowadays. And, And there's a good part to that, right? Because we treat each other much more as equals and we've changed some of those gender roles that weren't really serving us but i will tell you valentine's day does give especially men in relationship a chance to kind of be that old style chivalrous and it's okay and expected
2: i agree that it does give men or whoever a chance to be chivalrous i and i agree with you about that traditional gender roles that they shouldn't be Stiff and required, right? And this shouldn't be the way it has to be. Including in because not every relationship is a man and a woman, right? So like, there's all different kinds of uh, ways you can go about this. But what I've realized is that in this relationship, we have cultivated so much respect for each other, and it feels like two real partners on an equal playing field. That if I want to do something that is viewed as chivalrous, right, like hey, I'm going to plan this night, like be ready at 730 wearing such and such kind of dress. Right. And I'm going to take care of the whole thing. That's welcome and appreciated because it's really at this point, it's not like it's a man and he has to do it. And she's a woman and she can't do it. It's just like this is somebody I care about my partner. And I'm choosing tonight to take up the reins of taking care of her and, you know, surprising her.
0: Sometimes the anticipation of the surprise is like even better than the actual surprise. <laughs> so saying like three days before, like don't check the chase card is like, yeah, those are three <laughs> days that won't be forgotten.
1: I like that. Yes. It's like, I bought you a cupcake, but you won't know that yet. So you're going
0: to no, like, yeah. so spend three days like, yes. Oh my gosh. What I'm so excited. It? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Surprises on the credit card. Make me think Jen a lot about how Sometimes these events, things like Valentine's Day, can actually show new couples how their spending habits don't align. Do we run the risk there? Are these holidays sometimes the moment when new couples say, wait, you want to spend hundreds of dollars on dinner? And the other one says, yeah, I don't live that way.
0: I don't think that that's gonna happen on Valentine's Day. I think it's so ingrained in our culture to go big on Valentine's Day. I think even if you're maybe not as much on board, it's more forgivable. but it definitely can start to start when you go like so far beyond and then afterwards it becomes safe and then you start to show a little bit more of your spendiness. It can kind of be the trigger for finding out what those spending habits are a little, little real, more real.
1: As I was about to say, Lindsay, that first big holiday may be the first chance you get to see how your new relationship responds to these type of events. How much do they spend? How do they use money? What role does it play in their enjoyment of your time together? It can be a little bit eye opening.
3: Totally. And it's interesting as you were talking about that doc, I thought back to one of the first road trips I took with my now husband and we grew up doing road trips. I'm one of five kids. Now I think there's up to 12 of us when you add in those remarriages and things like that. But growing up, I was the oldest of five kids. And even though we were financially well off, it was not in my mom's like wheelhouse to stop and get us snacks when we were on road trips, right? We always packed a cooler full of things. We always had our own drinks. We always had our own whatever games, entertainment. And so I remember going on the first road trip with my partner. And when we stopped to get gas and like, he came back with snacks, I was like flabbergasted. I was like, you bought snacks? (laughs) Like, what kind of monster are you? You didn't bring your own (laughs) granola bars. Um, And that was one of those eye-opening moments of just an insight, a little window into the way that different people travel. So you know, for us, we don't go on trips and plan on cooking every single meal. When we go on trips, we are there to totally unwind and unplug. And that often means eating out a lot. And of course, we do it in a way that works for us. We aren't going to five-star restaurants, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, we find a hotel that includes breakfast and maybe get like a bigger lunch and a lighter dinner or something like that. But for sure, to me, one of those eye-opening moments was traveling with my partner and seeing how they spent on Travel,
2: Lindsay. You just uh, outed yourself as one of those people from the what is it? The Progressive Parental Life Coach commercials. And he's taking <laughs> the people through the hardware store, and the woman goes, "I'm gonna have a big lunch and just a snack for dinner." I've said that before because of that commercial, <laughs> and I have done that, Lindsay. Just so you know, there is a silence button on the side of your phone, your cell phone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like i don't have that button yeah um
1: no. <laughs> totally, totally those are pretty classic commercials aren't they yes they are so good so we've been talking about valentine's day adam but as Lindsay was also talking about the first time you travel with a new partner these are kind of the first reckonings we have with a new relationship about how they manage money. And it it does beg the question, how early do we start having these conversations? I think things like Valentine's Day or things like our first trip or our first anniversary, those kind of naturally push us to start thinking about things early. Do we wait until one of these episodes or is it a conversation we should really start? before we get to that first Valentine's Day or that first road trip?
2: In my mind, I think about this, it's very much a dance, right? But it's like, where are you in your life and relationship? And then there's an amount of talking about money that I think resonates with that. So what does that look like? If you're hanging out with somebody once or twice a month and it's pretty low key what you're doing, you know, maybe it's like you're just getting a pizza or whatever, I don't think there's necessarily a need to talk about money, but as you start doing things like going on trips together, right now, the choices you're making are impacting both. of you, Right. And so at this point, you don't have to talk about your credit score, but you should at least be talking about how much are you looking to spend this holiday? Right. Or, or what's your vacation budget for the year? And I think for Valentine's day, I mean, with my girlfriend, we had our first Hanukkah together and it was like, okay, how much like, we want to do gifts, and if so, what kind of range? And I let her know, like, hey, I got you some stuff, but just be aware it was under a hundred dollars. What I spent, right? So that she knew, please don't spend over that. Like, let's keep it reasonable. As a coach, and I do my best to apply this in my personal relationships. I just say, talk about it. Just, just talk about it. <laughs> this is, you know, we get over complicated But what should we spend on Valentine's Day? Sit down with your partner and say, hey, Valentine's Day is coming up. I'd love to. Celebrate and enjoy it with you. You know, how do you think about this? What would you like to spend? This is what I'm thinking, and come to a consensus.
1: Adam, you talked about it as a dance. We also were chatting before we started this conversation, and you said that you were in a fairly newer conversation and have started that talk about money early. How did you know even to start that dance as quickly as you did in this case?
2: Well, my God, doc, being a of financial coach who spends all day doing this, <laughs> it kind of uh, it kind of brings it to the forefront of the imagination. I mean, and I'm blessed that she also is financially savvy and works in the finance world. but I think the other thing that's important to consider is we all know this on this panel, like financial goals and habits and values matter and can make or break a relationship. I mean, it's one of the top causes of divorce. so, if you're listening and you're like, you know, 20 years old and you're just dating this person casually, okay, no problem, right? But if you're at a point in your life where, or with this person where you're like, I- I'm looking to have a life partner, to get married, whatever the case may be, then I think it's good to get these conversations going. And that's where uh, my girlfriend and I are both at. And we both care for each other. So we were getting the conversation started right away. I and mean, when we've talked about credit scores, student loans, we've talked about our goals and values already, right? We don't have shared bank accounts because we're not there yet, but we've already started the conversation rolling on these things because I, when you're at that point, like I said, looking to get married, like I think it's good to get everything out on the table and and start operating as a partnership as soon as you can, at least having these dialogues, right? Like I'm not hiding my student loan debt from you. No, I'm telling you about it. I'm telling you how I think about taking care of it, what my future plans are. I think she has a right to know those things. and and vice versa.
1: Jen, let's go back in your relationship to when you first met your husband. Do you remember a point of reckoning where you started talking about financial things? And if so, what brought it about?
0: Well, he was much more frugal than I was. And I respected that about him, but I really couldn't relate. So because I didn't have a lot of money, but I loved spending it. So I think it was realizing like he didn't have a car he just drove a motorcycle like to save money he lived at one point slept on a futon chair in somebody's trailer in a trailer park to save money on housing so that's like the kind of person he was so like just hearing more about his story that that kind of started our conversations but i think maybe something we don't talk a lot about is that Sometimes, I mean, for me, it brought up like some shame that I wasn't as like frugal as he was, and I wanted to be taken care of, like on a Valentine's Day. I wanted something, but honestly, like my finances were were crappier than his were. So i I totally believe that when you're in a committed relationship, you have to start being honest about this because I talk to people who are married and won't like won't combine their finances, but also like, won't be completely transparent about them either. So it's there's so many layers and the earlier you earlier you start, the, the more time you have to kind of like, peel those layers off.
1: You make some really great points that people can go further and further in the relationships and not have these conversations kind of bring it back to the beginning of what we we're talking about. I think sometimes the Valentine's days of our lives are those times that we can actually breach some of those conversations before we get so separated from each other that we don't interact and and be open and truthful about them. Lindsay, talk to me about your relationship. Do you remember when you went from being rather pedestrian about money to actually getting down to the dollars and cents.
3: Yeah, I mean, there there are definitely several moments that stand out, <clears throat> but for me the the biggest one was making the decision to get married. I came from a family where my parents uh, were divorced and the lawyer originally who my mom had hired told her, you can't afford to leave this person. So she stayed in the marriage for years. So I grew up learning and internalizing that in order to be safe, you had to have your own money and you had to keep it separate from your partner. So the idea of getting married and sharing finances scared the heck out of me. And I was determined to keep things separate and my partner wanted to blend things. And so we had to have a ton And, of in-depth conversations. We had to have a ton of negotiations, a ton of compromise, a ton of collaboration to get where we are today. So for me, it was a really big thing, but we talked about little things along the way. You know, we lived together for years. We we even purchased a home together before we were engaged. We did a lot of like big adult things. Um, but for whatever reason I had, well, actually, I know the reason <laughs> I had this oh, hanging over my head that marriage suddenly meant that I no longer had financial security. So I wanted to do everything in my power to hold on to financial security. So we had lots of conversations leading up to it from, you know, the first road trip to when we first moved in together to opening up a bank account together. We had a lot of those conversations along the way, but the big one for sure was, the, was the marriage conversation and whether or not we'd blend finances.
1: Yeah. It, that's pretty interesting because what you're kind of saying is that you had this red line, Right. That you were able to have some of these conversations to interact about finances on some level. Right. But when it got to the bigger, deeper conversation that you eventually needed to have, it had to come with marriage.
3: Yeah. Yep. And therapy. <laughs> Plug <laughs> for both. Of course. Of <laughs> Talk course. about money and get into the therapy
1: <laughs> and get married. Why not?
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: In the first half of the show, we talked to Adam, Lindsay, and Jen about memorable Valentine's days in the past. After the break, we discuss practical solutions for Valentine's Day with a new partner. But first, all right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago. And I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Have you been enjoying the Earn and Invest podcast every Monday and Thursday? If so, you might want to continue the conversation throughout the week. The best way to do that is by going to facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest. Again, that's facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest, where we've created a community where we discuss things similar to on the podcast. We talk about money, finances, current news, and yes, even occasionally politics. Check us out and become part of our community. That's facebook.com slash group slash earn and invest. We'd love to see you there. So Adam, let's move from talking about the mindset to being a little bit more practical and tactical. There are a lot of people who are in new relationships who are coming up to their first Valentine's Day How do you decide or how should a person decide how much to spend, how big a deal to make of it if you're new to a relationship? Are there any good rules of thumb or any good ways to approach this?
2: I really think it's a great opportunity to communicate with your partner on this first Valentine's Day, right? You can talk to them about what you're thinking. You don't have to tell them specifically the plans, but you can just have that dialogue.
3: In thinking about the why, I think is what you're asking, Doc, why is it important to have the conversation on Valentine's or how can Valentine's kind of spark these bigger conversations? I think these you pick up these cues when you are dating a partner on where their priorities lie based on their spending. So if you're nervous about bringing up the money conversation you can kind of point out things that you've noticed and kind of easily slide into the money conversation without having to say you know over your your fancy meat dish hey by the way have you thought about maximizing your 401k you know we can say things like hey I noticed that you really love taking me out to dinner or you really love you know taking me on hikes tell me a little bit more about why that's important to you or tell me a little bit more about why that feels good to you. And you can start to kind of learn a little bit about their values and about what matters. And then, you know, over time, you can build up those conversations to be so much more direct about money. But I do think for a lot of people, you know, the research shows that people would rather talk about death, sex, and politics than they would about money. So of course, we have to kind of get there a little bit more slowly, a little bit more methodically, but it doesn't mean it's taboo and off limits forever.
2: Definitely. And when it comes to the actual planning of a Valentine's Day, I would say the place to start may be, how do I want to feel? How do I want my partner to feel? What do I want to communicate with whatever we do or don't do on Valentine's Day, right? Rather than starting with the specific plans. And this is the same process I do with my couples, right? It's like, Rather than trying to figure out exactly, should we cut cable and go to Hulu? Should we spend less on going out to eat? First step back, bigger picture, right? What's What are you trying to achieve as a family, right? So here, okay, what's the goal? I want my partner to feel this way, you know, whatever. Okay, now what are some ways I might get, there, right? I mean, Lindsay talked about how she and her husband do something for like 30 or 40 bucks. How terrific is that? And it doesn't necessarily mean you don't feel loved. And, I once was speaking to this woman, and she asked me, you know, there's this guy I started dating, and he doesn't seem to want to spend a lot of money on me. Do you think I should, like, break up with him? And I said, well, what does it mean to you if he spends a lot of money on you? She says, well, it shows he cares. I said, okay, well, are there other ways for him to show that he cares? And she's like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Like, if he made a picnic, if he spent 30 or 40 bucks, but, like, I could tell he put thought into it, that would be great. And I said, okay, right. So come from that point of view. Are you feeling getting the experience that you matter, that you're important to them? Right. And as far as what how much to spend when it comes down to it, I think just the same kind of principles you would look at on anything else, spending on Hanukkah or Christmas or Kwanzaa, or spending on a vacation, right? Same kind of ideas. Just take a look at your budget, what's reasonable, and go for that. And there are so many different options. And shoot, I mean. I certainly am not going out to any restaurants this Valentine's Day, given the state of the pandemic. So, you know, there's lots of room for creativity, picking up some really nice ingredients from the store, cooking a meal for your partner. In my case, it'd be more like uh, chateau-foo-briand as a vegan. (laughs) And my girlfriend is the same. I've been working on that for, since we started this conversation. (laughs) Uh, It it it. finally came to me. I was like, how am I going to do this? But it's a great opportunity to show you care and it doesn't necessarily have to be in this wild expensive out in the town sort of way.
1: Jen, you know one of the best pieces of advice I got had to covering these kind of things actually had to do with dealing with your parents and talking to them about money issues is this idea that you go and ask them for advice and see how they react, right? So if you want to know how much do they have saved for retirement or how they look at retirement savings, say, hey, I'm looking at my 401k and I have a bunch of the options. What do you think about these? And then you might be able to judge a little bit about them based on how they look at your problem. And I think for couples, sometimes that works too. It's like, oh, you know, what do you think about that president that President so- and so got for his wife for her birthday? And it kind of gives you gives you some insight in how they think about finances, and it allows you to approach it in a very safe manner.
0: yeah, I, I think a great way to broach the topic is to start talking about other people's money. so people don't so your partner doesn't think that you're accusing them like slyly, even if you're not they could have some, you know, some issue that even something that's like really neutral and it becomes, they feel like they're a target. So when you talk about other people, though, you, you know, get people to really open up. Yeah.
1: I think certainly that's a technique that I found to be useful. Lindsay, I'm wondering if COVID has changed the conversation, right? It kind of left some of us off because you can't, you know take out your loved one to a really expensive meal most likely because the restaurant probably isn't open. Do you think covid is changing the way we're doing Valentine's Day this year?
3: Oh, it's certainly changing the way that we do Valentine's Day this year and I what I'm hearing from this overarching conversation is that Valentine's Day is one day out of the year where we can really hone in on our our romantic relationships and our you know the love that we have with other people in our lives outside of just our romantic relationships and I think with covid a, a huge lesson that I have learned and that I've seen so many of my clients learn is that who you are surrounded by makes such an impact on your quality of life. And so, of course, with COVID, we might not be able to celebrate in the way that we could before. But by now, you know, we're almost a year into this pandemic. We've gotten really creative with how we can be romantic and how we can show love. And the other thing I think that's important to point out when we're talking about money and couples and and Valentine's Day is, you know, the the five languages of love or the five love languages that we've talked about a lot um, or people are at least somewhat familiar familiar with that what we're talking about today is this idea of like gift giving and doing something big and getting a dozen roses and the stuffed bear and the chocolates. But that's only one of the five different ways that we can show love and receive love. So it's also important to check in with your relationship and with your partner. And they might not value the big romantic night out. They might much rather have you, like if you're me and you're in the middle of Michigan in a winter snowstorm, you might might value your partner going out and shoveling a an nice in the snow. You know, doing that act of service might give you more of that connected this feeling than a dozen roses. A dozen roses would.
1: Jen Lindsay brings up an interesting point. You know, I've been married for twenty years now. Things change, right? The big, grand, especially economic gestures don't aren't really as important, or don't hold as much water to us as they did at the beginning of our relationship. Is that just a natural progression? I mean. Do we change the way we celebrate things like Valentine's Day as, as we go further in a relationship?
0: Absolutely. I would much rather Travis put our son to bed than get a dozen roses that are going to die next week. I mean, the more life that you live and the more you have in your life, the more opportunity there is to give gifts that are not stuff and for them to be just as Uh, impactful. So yeah, I think that time definitely has something to do with it.
1: Adam, as all of us out here go forward to celebrate Valentine's Day with our loved ones, any big mistakes? I used to think you could never go wrong by going big, right? So the default is go big, you'll always be better off. But are there any glaring mistakes that you think people make on on days like Valentine's Day?
2: Going in, sitting inside at a restaurant without (laughs) a mask. (laughs) I was talking
1: about besides during COVID pandemic times, but yes, (laughs) I I definitely agree
2: with you. All I can think about. I live in South Florida. The numbers here are terrifying. I don't know that there's a big mistake unless there's something that really triggers your partner. Right. But I mean, that could be something to ask, especially in a new relationship. Like, hey, is there anything I could do that would feel really not good to you, right? And maybe that's a smart conversation to be having. Maybe I'm going to have that one myself. You know, it's as long as you're coming from a place of care for the other person and you're being responsible about how your choices impact your own finances, then I think you should be good. You know, the holiday can have a lot of importance. Uh, As far as like you share, Doc, we can maybe make some special memories, but I don't want anyone to put too much pressure on themselves. You know, at the end of the day, it's a day and every day we have with people we love and on this planet is a beautiful thing to be celebrated, but, and Valentine's Day is one of those, right? So just to enjoy it and be present along with all the rest of our time.
1: Lindsay, besides completely ignoring it totally, are there any big Valentine's Day no-nos, economic or otherwise?
3: I mean, I think Adam hit the nail on the head that you, you should probably check in with your partner on whether or not they want to celebrate it. I know that Leslie Nope of Parks and Rec really uh, memorialized Valentine's Day. So if you have a female partner, or if you are identify as female, maybe you prefer celebrating Valentine's Day, and you prefer like Jen to hold off on the big romantic gestures until your anniversary. That's cool too. But again, it's it's really about checking in with your partner and what works best for you and your relationship.
1: Jen, I'm sure that your husband is not listening to us right now. So tell us what are your Valentine's Day plans?
0: We don't have any. It's uh <laughs> well, mostly my husband works on Sunday nights. So he'll be working, but we will make plans to get away for our anniversary and we do try to budget in for a date night every other month. So we are intentional when we spend time together. And we're fortunate in that we get a lot of time together because of the flexibility that we've built into our lives. And so I think we don't need to go tr- go out and try and, like, makeshift a Valentine's Day together with everyone else. I just hate crowds in general, like, even before 2020. So, so that's never been really appealing to me.
1: Yeah, that kind of killed New Year's for me too, right? Like, I (laughs) never want to go out on New Year's Eve again. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Adam, care to disclose what your big Valentine's Day plans are today or for Sunday?
2: Yeah, I think that they're well, I took Monday off, first of all, beauty of being your own boss. And the plans I think will involve some home cooked food and some champagne and uh, just spending quality time together, doing what we. Try and do as often as we can.
1: Sounds like a good plan. Lindsay, anything big plan?
3: I'm sticking with tradition. Like Adam, I'll be making food. Uh, I'll be making pizza. That has been something fun that I've been doing during the pandemic and even beforehand. And we will probably stream an old movie and pop popcorn and hang out. But, you know, that has been our tradition for many years and we'll just stick with it.
1: Yeah. What I get from talking to all of you is that the traditions that matter to us often don't relate to money at all. Maybe they relate to tradition. More importantly, maybe they relate to being conscious of what your partner needs and wants from you. I think it's a good way to look at Valentine's Day. Certainly people at the beginning of their relationship sometimes feel that stress, that pressure to go big, and maybe that's okay. But long term. Maybe we find a better way of meeting our partner's needs. And uh, that's kind of what makes Valentine's Day special, as well as any other time that we go and listen to what our partner really needs and act on that. It's been a pleasure talking to you guys about Valentine's Day and about how we manage money in relationships. I wanna end this episode the way we end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where we can find you. Adam, let's start with you. What's going on and where can we find you?
2: So thank you, Doc, first of all, for having this conversation. Lindsay and Jen, always great to be back with you all. And uh, for me, I'm just excited about this point in my business because now I've expanded beyond just private coaching to offer different sorts of programs, including a self-based on-demand online course for couples that is really all about taking you from that initial spot where you're overwhelmed or avoiding this or anxious about money to a point where you're really operating with that clarity you want to have with that teamwork that you're after with that stability around your finances and knowing how you're going to get from where you are to where you want to be. So, I'm excited about those offerings. You can find me on LinkedIn as Adam Cole KOL or Instagram Adam Cole Coaching and I have the host the Equal Partners podcast which is all about relationships and money. So, and I look forward to connecting with folks.
1: And Lindsay, tell us what is going on with you and where can we find you if we want to learn more?
3: Yeah, so I am super active over on Instagram, though one of my things I'm working on in 2021 is being much more intentional about how much time I'm spending on that platform and all social media. But I'm really excited this year because I'm trying to kind of... uh, manage my energy a bit more. Last year, I think I was mostly running off of adrenaline and anxiety like most of us were in 2020. And when I did my numbers for 2020, about 76% of my income came from one-on-one therapy. And I'm really hoping to shift that more to 50-50 of therapy and group-based work so I can serve more people without burning myself out. So I'm offering more group coaching programs, which really lines up with me and my values and my energy. And If people are curious to learn a little bit more about the psychology of money and what their personal, kind of their money personality type is, they can head to my website, mindmoneybalance.com slash quiz to figure out which of the four financial archetypes they are.
1: Yeah, you and Adam, Lindsay, are unique in the sense that just not that many people do financial therapy right now. And so it's still hard to find practitioners who understand these issues and concepts and Don't only do it as part of the work, but do it as the main part of their work.
3: Right, exactly.
1: And Jen, what is going on with you and where can we find you if we want to learn more?
0: Well, I will be over at Frugal Friends Podcast talking to a whole bunch of people because I don't do any one on one. Because as much as I hate crowds, one on one work in coaching scares me even more. So I hide behind my microphone with Jill. And uh, we talk about saving money, earning more, and being a better steward of your financial resources.
1: And you guys had a major milestone recently. You passed a million downloads, which is super incredible, amazing for what, two and a half, three years or so of podcasting. So...
0: Yes. More than two people listen. So we're, we're beating stacking Benjamins at this point. And that was the only goal, you know, we've got maybe three listeners. So, so yeah, we've, we've, we met our goal. We can stop now.
1: It is definitely a podcast worth listening to. This has been the earn and invest podcast on behalf of myself, Doc G. I wanted to thank Lindsay, Adam, and Jen. That's a wrap. So we're going to talk about debt, something we don't usually talk about on Earn and Invest. And to do that, I have Chris from Inspire to Fire here with me to talk about his debt journey. He blogs at InspireToFire.com as well as the Inspire to Fire podcast. Chris, tell us a little bit about the podcast.
4: Hey, Doc G. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. And the podcast is all about inspiration towards financial independence. So really what I'm trying to do is... I guess, to inspire others uh, to become financially free and also to just increase awareness and build the community. I fall in love with the FIRE community, so I just figured I might as well be a part of it as well.
1: We talk about FIRE here often on Earn and Invest. That is financial independence, retire early. It is actually the way I found out about this personal finance community So a lot of fun conversations. I wanted to talk to you specifically about debt because it's just something we don't go into in depth here. Tell us a little bit about your debt story.
4: Sure. So I started, well, I went to pharmacy school, so I guess I should start there. And after four years, I came out with about $150,000 in student loans. So uh, that was a lot of money and I hadn't even realized how much student loans had been accruing just because I was so focused on, on my studies. Shortly after that, I really figured out that I had to you know, work on this debt and I couldn't ignore it. It wasn't going to go away on its own. So I started to kind of work out what public uh, service loans forgiveness are available and uh, whether I should refinance and kind of just made a decision based off of that. And we can kind of talk about those options and and the one that I chose ultimately was to refinance, so that was just a better move for me
1: Let's go back to the beginning. Were you worried about the debt while you were in school? Did it even enter your mind that at some point this was going to come due and you were going to have to actually start
4: paying for it? I think somewhere in my mind, all the way in the back of my mind, the, the, I knew that that debt was there, and I was going to have to eventually repay it, um, but I just felt that once i graduated pharmacy school, I was going to make a six-figure income. And I had just put that in the forefront of like, well, I'll be okay. I'm going to be making a good amount of money. I really didn't calculate how much that was going to be in comparison to the debt. How much of that income was going to be taken away by the debt, basically
1: when I came out of medical school and residency and when you come out of dental school and pharmacy school, it's like, oh, I'm making a big salary. I can go in and finally spend on those things I want to. Was there a lot of pressure to go make the big purchases and to kind of defer the loans until as, as long as possible?
4: I think I felt pressure, societal pressure, just based off of my family and friends knowing that I was a pharmacist. And, you know, it's very known, well known what we make as a as a whole, as a profession. Um, so I felt I felt that pressure. I felt pressure from myself as well, holding off purchases and just daydreaming of what I was going to be able to buy whenever I graduated, all that hard work and all those studies, you know, I kind of felt like I wanted to treat myself and my motivation was I wanted to buy a BMW actually. it's <laughs> a, a nice BMW <laughs> car. And uh, luckily, I didn't get myself into that right away. And I still haven't purchased that car and I don't think I will. But um, I think that that was the pressure. And, and then also, lastly, societal pressure to just get started with your life. I was at I was 27 when I graduated and um, I had met my future wife. I hadn't known that we were going to be husband and wife yet. But, um, you know, there's there's life changes that happen at that age. You're you're approaching 30. You want to put down for maybe a house or Um, you know, get married, maybe have kids. So those things were also on the timeline. And that's kind of pressure to do that.
1: Now, you had briefly mentioned for those of us who don't know a lot about student loans, we figure you just come out of school and start paying them, but there are actually multiple different options. Walk us through a simple explanation of what the options are and how you chose to refinance.
4: Yeah. So there's a few options, at least for me and that I'm aware of. I'm not an expert on it, but what I know is that there are basically public uh, loan forgiveness options um, where you basically are put on an income repayment plan and you can take that for 25 years. And at the end of the 25 years, it's forgiven. Uh, Then there's also a public service forgiveness loan where after 10 years, if you're in the public sector, like working for the government, then that is paid off or forgiven. So I wasn't working in the public sector. I was full-time in a private, in in, uh, retail. Instead of me trying to work my way into the public sector, which I didn't know if that was going to happen in a year, five years, I said, let me go ahead and attack the debt and just get rid of it. And at 150000 I think that's That was very doable to refinance. Now, if you're coming out with maybe 200 or 250 or 300, then you really should be looking at trying to do some other options. But for me, I was at a 7% interest rate with 150,000. And to refinance, I can actually get it down to 5%. So that's what I did right away. And then shortly after, the interest rates have gone, keep going lower and lower. And the good thing about refinancing is once you do it once, you can continue to do it. There's really no, no issues with that. So I got it down to 3%. And lastly, now I'm at a variable rate, a lot to do with, because it's already so low, my interest, my, my debt is lower than 40,000 at this point. So I felt comfortable taking a risk to a variable rate, uh, knowing that I can pay that off if the interest rates go higher. That's what I did. So now it's at almost 0% because of what's going on in the interest rate world. And, and, pauses on student loans. Um, So yeah, that's, that's, I think the, the the strategy that I used and it helped me get rid of it quicker and pay less interest.
1: Let's talk a little more tactically. Now you kind of had a plan for paying off your debt. You start working as a pharmacist, You're starting to save, you're bringing in extra money. How do you make the decision of what to do with that extra money? Like, I know a lot of people struggle with, should I pay off my loans faster? Should I buy a house? Is this the time to do that? Should I invest the money in the market? Like, what Mm -hmm. are some of the decision processes you went through to decide what to do with money?
4: Yeah, so I think that is definitely a very personal uh, choice for anyone. It definitely depends on your emotions, how you feel about that, how comfortable you are with it and what your goals are. So what I did initially was start uh, saving up for a down payment um, with my future wife for a house. So we actually lived with my parents for about a year and a half and just saved a little bit and was able to put a down payment on a a modest house. After that, I obviously, well, the next step for me was to try to max out my 401k and take advantage of every tax savings account. I feel like for me personally, investing while paying off debt is super important, especially it was kind of a balance for me as I was investing or starting to invest and increasing my contributions to my tax advantaged accounts, my interest rate on my debt was actually starting to creep lower and lower. So that balance and that shift made it much, much more sense for me to go ahead and continue to invest because over the long term, 30, 40 years. You really want compound interest on your side uh, rather than it's it feels amazing to pay off that debt. And, And I will not say anything to anybody who does choose that route. But for me, I preferred that to start start early with investing because I just saw how powerful that is after 30 years.
1: I like you bring up this fact that there really is a calculus involved, which is very personal. For instance, if you're working at a company that matches your 401k, you might at least say, okay, let me put in enough to the 401k to get the match because that's free money before I put extra into the loans. Or if you're in a tax bracket where you can get a Roth IRA, you might say, you know what? I'm going to put the money first in a Roth IRA before I pay that debt off further. It's a little counterintuitive, but I think if you're into the long-term planning, it makes sense that some of these moves are just better for you financially than jumping in headfirst and paying off that debt immediately.
4: Absolutely. And if you're comfortable with that debt, I think that's the key point. By taking advantage of my wife and I in these tax advantage accounts, you actually get a lot of benefits. You lower your adjusted gross income which qualifies you for a lot of tax benefits. So for example, we get a tax deduction on my student loans, uh, student loan interest. So the interest that builds, let's say it's $1,000 that year, or, or let's just as an example, easy example, you get a deduction on that. So your interest is actually lower than that because you're getting some money back. So I just realized that there were several benefits to taking advantage of these tax advantage accounts. And that's where it was for me. And, and around 3%, maybe three to 5% on your interest rate on your debt is where, you know, it's the gray area, anything higher than 5%, I would say, really take care of the debt, anything lower than 3%. If you're comfortable with it, I would say probably invest that money.
1: Now, a lot of people would say, well, you're a high income individual, you're a pharmacist." the decisions are not as difficult for you. There are a lot of people out there who are struggling with multiple forms of debt. Maybe there's student loan debt. Maybe there's a car note. uh, Maybe they have credit card debt. Talk to me about the philosophy of paying off debt. I know some people think you should go for the biggest amount first and pay that one off first. Other people say you should go for the highest interest rate. How do you decide which debt to attack first?
4: Yeah. So I completely agree. High income individual. So I I acknowledge the fact that I have a different perspective um, than some. And so it's all personal, like you mentioned earlier. I think when it comes to attacking your debt, there are two main ways to do it and very popular ways. There's the debt avalanche and the debt snowball. The debt avalanche is when you attack, you basically line up your debts by the highest interest rate. And you attack the one that has the highest interest rate. The debt snowball is where you line them up based off of the balances and you attack the smallest balance first, then snowballing onto the next, onto the next. And I think mathematically, the debt avalanche is best. In in the mathematical term, you are paying less interest over the long run in that in that method. The debt snowball, however, emotionally feels better for somebody because you take away that one credit card or that one debt and you're moving on to the next one and you're moving on. And it just gives you that motivation every couple of months, whenever you when you close one out or you finish one payoff.
1: And so you started your journey with $150,000 in debt. Have you now paid it off fully or where are you in the process?
4: Right now, currently with my student loans, it's about $40,000, maybe $38,000. And I've really slowed down on making payments towards it Because again, I do feel comfortable. It's basically at a 0% interest rate. And at that point, I just find that any extra money is much more valuable going into investments. I am also aware of the possibility of student loan forgiveness. And that's something that we don't know what's going to happen. I'm not banking on it. But if I pay down all that debt and then two weeks later, the administration signs a forgiveness, uh, you know, act, I am going to feel pretty silly. So I figured I can wait a little bit. And if you know, nothing happens, then I'll just pay it off eventually. But I am investing at the same time. And that's something that's just worked for me.
1: It's an important issue with the pandemic and the recession, a change in political power, we expect there to be new legislation, and that legislation may affect how much you owe. So it's really important to stay up to date and current with what is happening in Congress. Let's take the thousand foot view here in your path to financial independence. How big a problem is debt? Is this something that's really stopping people from reaching their net worth numbers?
4: I would say it. I don't think it actually I don't think it it would be uh, completely stop somebody. From reaching financial independence, but it is a huge obstacle, and and so many people are facing student loan debt, uh, credit card debt, and this is because of issues that we have in society, where it's too easy for someone at eighteen uh, or even twenty one to make these decisions to get themselves into these mortgage sized debts. Uh, for luckily for me, the profession has a decent payoff or return on investment, but. Uh, some don't actually have a career path that's going to give you that income to pay that debt off. So I think that a thousand foot view, there is a lot to that we need to work on in order to make education more affordable and to get uh, people in the right career paths on the right track and to help them financially, you know, become more aware and, and get on the right track.
1: I agree with you. Totally. Part of the problem with students taking out student loan
4: debt is it's almost
1: like funny money. It doesn't really feel real yet. And it becomes real very quickly when all of a sudden the bills are due. Chris from Inspire to Fire, thank you for coming on to earn and invest. You can check him out at inspiretofire.com, Read his blog, listen to his podcast and learn about how you can improve not just your debt journey, but your financial independence journey in general. Chris, thanks for being on the show.
4: Thank you so much, Sakshi.